Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Paddle Pod, your weekly podcast covering professional paddle presented by Hugo and Gons. We're on to episode 20 now. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Hugo. Hugo, it's great to have you here. Hi, how are you today? I've got to say, Gons, it's a pleasure for me as well, as always. So, yeah, very happy to be back. And we've got a great week ahead of us. The World Paddle Tour Madrid Master is here in Madrid where I currently am, and you will be very soon. And I've got to be honest, I'm, I'm buzzing because it's the first World Paddle Tour tournament that we'll be watching live, and I'm sure it's going to be a real game-changing experience. So, yeah, one of the we're in for the one of the best weeks in our lives, potentially. <laughs> I don't disagree at all. And, yeah, it's also my first World Paddle Tour tournament live. I remember maybe five, six years ago, that I saw a paddle tournament uh, in the north of Spain, in Galicia, where um, I sort of go in the summer. And I can't, I don't think it was World Paddle Tour, but it was very much professional paddle and they were incredible. Like I was amazed by it. So I can't even imagine what it is to go to a World Paddle Tour event and obviously the Madrid Masters and have the potential to see Agustin Tapia and Arturo Coelho and obviously the rest of the players, which are amazing. But yeah, I just can't wait. And yeah, we're going to have a blast for sure. I mean, who knows? Maybe that tournament was World Paddle Talk. To be fair, we Maybe. weren't really avid followers of Paddle six, seven years ago, right? So yeah, it may well have been if it was that good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It could it could be. Yeah? It could be. I remember it very vividly. Like I was really impressed and the game was so fast and... Yeah, it, it could very well have been. And it's literally in the paddle club of, of the town, which there's only one, but they've got like a really nice outside court and stuff. So yeah, may, maybe it was that it was World Paddle Tour, but obviously, as we've spoken about as well many times, the game has evolved so much. So uh, yeah, you can't really compare what it was like six, seven years ago to to what it is today. Exactly. That's, that's definitely true. How much paddle has evolved and changed is just... Well, beyond measure, really. But yeah, just probably moving on to our first topic today. And don't worry, guys, we won't delve into it too much deeper because, to be honest, I reckon we've spoken about Sanya Gutierrez for about 40% of our podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's always got so much to him and there's always so much news surrounding him. Obviously, he's one of the biggest personalities on the tour. But... This case is obviously very specific. His recent split from Momo is obviously very, very big news given that they were one of the top-seeded pairs. And, well, Ben Tediev hosted an interview. Shock, Ben Tediev, as always, delivering the goods, hosted a very good interview with, well, I actually can't remember their names off the top of my head, but Gons, help me out if you do. But um, it was one professional paddle player from Argentina who I definitely know but I can't remember his name right now and then quite a famous journalist panel journalist in the sector and so being the F interviewed them and they were talking a bit about essentially about Sanyo and why that partnership with Momo González hasn't been successful and more importantly why Sanyo Gutiérrez may not have been performing that well recently. And in their eyes, it's due to him 
wanting to play too far back on the court. So from what they were saying is Sanyo traditionally has been very effective when he's close to the net because he's very technical. He's got all the shots. He can play the drop shot. He can find the sign netting, you know, the mesh. He can, he's got an unbelievable smash given that he's a forehand player. Normally forehand players don't have such good a smash. And weirdly, he's actually started to move towards the back of the court because I think that's where he feels more comfortable. And they were arguing that that could be behind the drop in his performance. I don't know what your thoughts are, Gons. I think it's a very interesting take. And I sort of see what they mean, especially because Sanyo traditionally has always been seen as a very aggressive forward-sided player, right-sided player. He's obviously got unbelievable touch and skills and shows that time and time again. But I think what really characterized Sanyo as a sort of right-sided player was that aggressiveness, which in back in the days, there weren't many players like him in that sense. We all know very much the traditional right-sided player is maybe more like Dineno, more like Chingoto. And uh, Sanyo, I would say that, yeah, wasn't is not necessarily just known for his defensive skills. So I do see what they mean, that the best Sanyo has always been the one being at the net, being aggressive, looking for to win points. And uh, I think potentially the move back can just be a physical thing. Um, he's obviously very fit, but he is also quite old. Uh, I can't... Is he 38, I think? I think he is 38. Yep. Yeah. I think he so is. that with obviously the game having evolved so much and the players that nowadays are so physical as well and you've got very, very young people uh, which are very strong physically. So I think that potentially that's sort of like why he's stepping back. And if you think about it as well, if you try and play that game, for example, against Lebron and Galan, who are probably the best at the net in terms of going to the volley, they're always looking for, for that fast game. You're probably going to come out and lose. Whereas if you go back and you try to defend and build a point from there, there's potentially, I guess, just a better chance of winning. I think what I've always been told is if, uh, from coaches as well it's like if you to be a really good player and to to beat players that are better than you you have to be better than defending because the offensive side is a bit easier but if you if you're not you always have to get the ball back and if you just even if someone is sort of better than you you will beat them if you're better defending um whereas i don't think it necessarily translates the other way around so I think potentially that's sort of the reason why Sanjo's maybe taking a step back, his age, that physical side, and the fact that his smash is very good. But I think nowadays you've got players that just are unbelievable, just threats from anywhere in the court. And I don't necessarily think Sanjo has that in him, at least from like a consistency point of view. Like we see Fabian Coelho time and time again, bring it to the other side to, to their own court from from the serve line I don't necessarily think Sanyo can do that every single game every single point whereas Tavian Coyo can so yeah I think those those sort of com- reasons and factors combination maybe explain why he's sort of gone back and maybe feels more comfortable there I, I definitely agree and I think that's a really good analysis just a quick side point firstly 
just checked it out. Sanya's actually 39. 39. Recently turned 39, well, June, so we were pretty close. Obviously, he's much older compared to other players like Ronan Galan and obviously Tapia Coelho were all in their early 20s or mid-20s in the case of Lebron and Galan. And also, I just wanted to make a point that the famous journalist, paddle journalist we were talking about that was interviewed by Vente Diez is called Alberto Bote and the professional player is Juan Pablo Deep, just for our fans to know. But yeah, I totally agree. I think the fact that Paddles become such a physical game and more and more physique and stamina is exactly. well determines the outcome of the match result. Yeah. Maybe behind Sanyo's kind of the, the, his move towards the back of the court. However, and even though I do understand what you mean, you can't in the sense that trying to beat Lebron and Galan at their game is probably too risky. I also think that this isn't really working. I'm not saying he's having horrendous results, but he hasn't been performing as well as he has done over recent years. And yes, it may be down to his age, maybe just down to a dip in form, maybe just down to other players playing out of their socks, which is clearly the case for some players like Boya and Tapia. But maybe he should think long and hard and just think, hey, I've been better when I've been closer to the net. Should I just be more aggressive? Should I be taking more risks? Because this isn't really playing out for me. And they were making a point talking about Juan Pablo Deep and the other journalist he was who was interviewed with uh, Ben Diez, Alberto Bogote, as I just mentioned. They were saying that he ends up playing a lot of balls on the half volley, which is so hard. And unless yeah. you execute that shot perfectly, the other players are just going to receive the ball quite high up towards their chest, you know, a high ball, if that makes sense, and just put it away. So should he take the risk and maybe change the way he's playing, even though he's not comfortable? I think so. Yeah, I think I think it very much depends as well on, on the partners he's had. I think he's probably at the stage of his career where he needs that very aggressive left-sided player who will be at the net, who then can potentially complement him staying a bit back or, or that person leading going to the net and then Sonia can follow. I think one of the reasons, which I'm, I think as well was mentioned in the interview, why it didn't necessarily work out is because Momo and Sanyo were both the same type of players. Or actually, Sanyo mentioned this somewhere else. I've, I'm sure I've seen a quote. Um, yes, I think it was Momo, actually. I think it was Momo talking about the fact that he, yeah. even though he's played on the backhand, he, he's almost like a forehand player on the backhand because he likes being at the back. Yeah. So, fast transitions. Exactly. So I think obviously why the Sanyo and Tapia worked is because Tapia is very much very aggressive, always front, front, like front foot forward and can be is very obviously incredible in the air and all of that. So I think Sanyo needs that sort of player, especially right now where he's at a, at his stage in his career. Totally agree. And just to make a final point, because as I say, we don't want to delve for too long into this topic, given that we've spoken about it a lot, but that's why I think Juan Deo is literally the perfect yeah. partner for Sanyo. Oh, yeah. It's just like, his partnership with Alex Reef isn't going that well. He is a very aggressive backhand player whose skills are smashing and net play. 
why not play together? They're also both Argentinian. They'll definitely have chemistry. They'll probably have played together at some point in World Cups and national team matches. So why not? The only thing I do think is that they're both in slightly negative trends. And Sanyo is a very emotional player. Mental side plays a big part in paddle and sport generally, as we know. So who knows? Maybe maybe it would be doomed from the start in that sense. But yeah, I just wanted to, to make that point. Yeah, I, I mean, they fit just very well. And uh, I, I would love to watch them. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but moving on to the next topic, and I actually think it's quite a sad topic, at least in my eyes. Mariano Amat, a legend of the game, not as much as a player, but more as a coach, has decided to step aside and take some time off from coaching. We, a lot of us will know that he has been Lebron and Galan's coach for a number of years now. He took them to number one ranked spot in World Paddle Tour, where they remained for over three and a half years. And he's now decided he's going to take some time off, as I just said. And he also won't be coaching at the M3 Paddle Academy in Madrid, which is obviously a huge academy where some of the key players train, not just Lebron Galan, but a number of others. And, well, yeah, Gons, what are, what are your thoughts? I, yeah, as I say, it's quite sad. Yeah, completely. Uh, I will say, well, first, the first thing that I want to say is obviously I hope that uh, everything for Mariano as well, family, all the personal stuff is is good. And obviously, if he's taking this time off, uh, I think that, yeah, just wish him all the best and hope that there's nothing wrong or serious going on. And if there is, that it can be resolved as soon as possible. Uh, but uh, yeah, having said that, I think the news was shocking. I don't see, I don't think anyone expected it. At least it wasn't leaked out anywhere or anything like that. It was very much an Instagram post by Mariano. And uh, yeah, when I first saw it, I was uh, pretty shocked. Uh, very much, I think, yeah, my, my first reaction was, apart obviously from being very sad, I think from the message he said, well, it sort of made it seem as it wasn't a complete retirement, which I think that's uh, probably a positive in the sense that there's always the, the door for him to come back. And uh, yeah, just I think he sort of mentioned that he just needed to take some time off for himself. And uh, yeah, uh, obviously he's done an incredible job having Leron Angalan taking like taking them where, where he took them, as you were mentioning, sort of three and a half years of world number ones in both tours as well. So World Paddle Tour and Premier Paddle. And if one thing I think characterizes Leron Angalan is that mental side of the game. And all coaches, probably more than anything, that's the biggest input that they have. So, yeah, I think it just shows the the way Lebron Angalan, the success that they've had. Obviously, he's played a huge part in it. So, let's see, let's see how they, who their new coach is, and, and how they fare out. Agreed, and that's a really good point regarding the mental side of the game. We all know how important it is in sport and elite level sport and well we've seen him for example in tennis Rafa Nadal has won 22 grand slams and has become one of the best players ever not just because of his technical attributes but a lot of times due to his mentality and his head 
And we've seen Lebron and Galan come back from very negative situations in matches, matches that are really going the other way completely. They managed to turn them around and Madiano's definitely been a massive part of that. And you can see how much the players love him from their farewell posts on social media. So, but as you say, I do think it's just he a bit of time off. It's not a full retirement as per se. I really hope it is. And as you say, I hope it's nothing serious. I don't, I don't believe it is because I think something would have potentially been leaked. If that's the case, in the sense that it's nothing serious and it's just some time off, which I can understand anyone wants to take. All I'll say is, let's see what happens with Lebron Galan. All right. Yeah, I, yeah. I dropped the bomb last week, as you said, and this came as a massive surprise. It's a big hit for yeah. the Lebron and Galan partnership. I mean, I, yeah, to be fair, that that was like my other second reaction. Like as soon as this came out, I was like, Jesus, didn't Ua just said like five days ago that he thinks Lebron and Galan could end soon. And uh, I mean, yeah, potentially this is maybe looking at into it too much, but I will say that I will admit this. It's sort of, it rocks the boat, right? It's definitely not a smooth sailing. Oh yeah, this is a completely normal so at least there's, you know, there's some wind in there. There's some bad waves that are coming and the bow is is rocking, is rocking. Agreed. And also when you think about it in a double sport, right, the first person that you're probably going to blame is your coach. And once the coach has changed, I'm sure this hasn't been the case if Mariana wants to take some time off. But once the coach has changed, if the pair is still not performing with a new coach, what's the next solution? It's yeah. changing your pair. I'm not saying that they haven't been performing. It's obviously been down to Lebanon's injury in a big part and even Galan's injury towards the start of the season. And they've already won a tournament this season and they're playing much better. But they're clearly not playing as well as they used to and as they want to. So, yeah, as I say, I don't want to take anything away from Mariano Amat's time off. And if it's for something serious, I hope everything's okay. But if not, I do think this is a bit of a warning sign for their partnership. I wonder who they'll grab as their next coach. That'd be a hell of a job, wouldn't it? Yeah, indeed. Tough, tough ask, though. Very tough ask. Very tough ask. The, the only thing I will say, though, on on the last point that you made around blaming the coach, which is true, right? In any sports, normally the first person to go, if something's not going well, a team isn't playing well, is is the coach. But I will say that given that Mariano has sort of fully left his responsibilities in Paro and the world of Paro. So also taking into account M3 Academy and stuff like that, I, I don't think it's connected to that because if not, it would have just been easy to say, look, I step aside from being the coach of Lebron Angalan, but I continue being the coach of someone else. I continue being involved in the academy, but he hasn't done that. So yeah, I, I don't necessarily think that that is the reason why. No, I agree. If I had to bet, I don't think it's the reason why. However, when I saw it, I thought, Ooh, this must be, as you say, it must rock Lebron and Galan's boat and it must be a bit of a challenge for them. And they've yeah. already been challenged in a number of ways. So, yeah, we'll see whether they overcome it. I mean, they've shown, as we've just mentioned, how strong they are mentally. So if there's one player that can do it, it's definitely them, isn't it? Exactly. That is true. Cool. So 
Should we, what do you think? Should we move on to our next topic, which is, I think, potentially the juiciest topic today? And it's Marta Ortega's interview with, who do you think it is, Gons? Uh, Mendelia? Correct. <laughs> Shock. Yeah. Mendelia, just always on it. And every week, it almost seems like every week they've got a new interview with one of the biggest names in paddle. So thank you so much, guys. And if you're listening to this, it would be an honor to firstly have you here and carry out a podcast with us, one of our episodes. But we'd be more than happy to make an appearance in one of yours if you ever need some crazy fan to turn up. <laughs> and we can exactly. even do it in Spanish. Which exactly. is obviously an advantage. <laughs> How about no? We're we're inviting them, so this time you get interviewed instead of being the one interviewing. How about that? Yeah, that's a good shout. That's a good <laughs> shout. Um, so regarding Marta's interview, there are a lot of interesting points, but I do think the key point I wanted to talk about is how paddle has changed and how it's going to continue to evolve over the next few years. So she was asked the classic question that we've heard a lot of players and coaches be asked recently. Has paddle changed that much? Comparing today's matches to matches 10 years ago, we've obviously heard conflicting views and opinions. I can't remember, but there was a coach saying that it actually hasn't changed that much and players would be as good today as they were before. I think it was Gaby Reca, yeah. So there's clearly conflicting views. Marta says that in her eyes, it's completely different. She said that paddles become much more aggressive, as we've mentioned previously, more tiring. The play is much faster. More areas and corners of the court are being used today. Everyone's getting better, better and better and better at defending and better at smashing. And she says paddle is a far more physical game today, which you can clearly tell by looking at players' physiques and bodies. And the most interesting point in my eyes in that whole interview was when she was asked what are the key trends in paddle? How do you think it's going to evolve over the next couple of years? She spoke about switch play. I don't know whether you want to delve into that a bit deeper, Gons. Yeah, so switch play being one, I'm guessing, one side, one player on one side crossing into the other player's side. Exactly. Very exactly. much like, so she, uh, like in doubles tennis. Exactly. She she basically said that it's a key trend in, in paddle today. And she she says it's going to grow exponentially over the next few years. She sees we're going to see, well, she says we're going to see more and more pairs and players switch sides during points and run across the net to the other side of the court with, with the objective of shortening points and taking advantage of the net, for example. Yeah. I think I think it's actually really insightful and really interesting analysis and and yeah take because uh, it makes complete sense I think and Paquito has alluded to this as well it's just I think players are they they very much know how to anticipate the ball in the traditional sense I think they're so aware of when someone is as soon as they play a ball and they see the other player lining up to take whatever shot they're going to take, I'm pretty sure they know with very high certainty where that ball is going to land. And so obviously with that, they take advantage and they position themselves to then potentially counter with a better ball. 
So Switchblade, what, what we'll do is just create chaos, right? It's completely random. You expect someone to be, you expect the ball to be taken by the right side of player and all of a sudden the left side of player jumps in the middle and I don't know, por cuatro or Svoli or whatever, right? Just that little uncertainty and that little extra step, I think is what will, will make just very unpredictable for the other players to know exactly like, oh, where's this ball going to come from? Because if, if you're obviously playing a ball, and I think it happens some like at a low, obviously at a very low key level, but in, in amateurs and, and when we play as well, right? Sometimes let's say you're serving, uh, sorry, you're, you're, you're returning the serve and you're like, you're playing it back to the player and then the other one just crosses in the middle and like, smashes it really hard and you're like oh like damn i didn't expect that um so i can imagine it being even more obviously more complex at a at a a more advanced level and obviously at the professional level and i think maybe related to this as well and and something that at least i took away from what she was saying that and what she was referring to i think she will she's also referring to is just all like all-round players like both players really just taking the same volume of, of balls and being able to have the same shots and the same defensive skills, the same offensive skills, and essentially just being able to be anywhere on the court and be very equal, which I think traditionally it was very much like one side, like one side players, let's say left-handed players had a very, very good, the very good offensive shots. So very good volleys, very good overheads, but maybe less good lobs and all of, and and maybe with the more defensive shots like Chiquitas, whereas the right sided player was master of two or three defensive shots. I say, I think now what we're evolving towards is just that all round player that is on both sides of of the court that will be able to do anything. Agreed. To be honest, I couldn't put it any better. So should we just move on? <laughs> no, but um, no, I, I want to yeah. hear your thoughts as well, obviously. No, I, it's the kind of thing that I had thought about it in terms of how much players are trying to switch sides during points. For example, we see Tapia running around the net a lot when he plays with Coelho. And I say Tapia, but Coelho probably even more because he's so big. He tries to get across and essentially cover the 75% of the net, really, because he's so big and he's able to do it. And the players and the pairs that they face don't know what to do because the only real way to prevent this is playing a lot because any ball that you're not playing, yeah, any ball that you're playing in and around shoulder height, even a bit higher, well, actually definitely a bit higher, they're going to be able to, the players are going to be able to get if they're moving around and switching sides. So firstly, I think lobs are going to be even more important than they already are. We know how important lobs are, and lob the lob is Bella's probably Bella's best shot, trademark shot, and it's taking him to be the goat. So it's and only going to be still competing at such a high level at his age. Exactly, exactly. So that's clearly going to be more and more important if switch play continues to grow exponentially as it has today. But yeah, I was really surprised because I didn't expect Marta to mention something that specific. And I was really glad she did because I hadn't heard any interviews or any kind of news really in the paddle world talking about switch play as much. 
you could watch it. You could see journalists talking about what Coelho covering the whole net, Tapia crossing to the other side and hitting it for Cuatro. But not that kind of in-depth analysis that Marta provided for Venga Diez. So it's, it's great to hear. And I'm sure, as you say, it's getting more and more important for both players to be, for example, very, very good defensively. Because she was saying that defence is a key part of the paddle and you were saying that as well. And at the end of the day, if you know that, for example, traditionally it would have been the backhand player who potentially is a bit worse at defending, then you're going to try and play him the ball more. So I don't think pairs can actually have that happen today because paddle is so competitive it's the level has grown so much that you can't afford to have a player that's got weaknesses as per se. Players are always going to have shots that are a bit worse, a bit better, but not weaknesses. Yeah, exactly. And as you were, th- as you were saying, yeah, I think that point around the lob is very interesting and could potentially mean that, yeah, we even start seeing way more lobs um, than ever before. But um but yeah, I just think it will cause a lot of randomness and unpredictability that perhaps is uh, is not there yet, or let's just say like it's still very at a very low level. Yeah, agreed. And to be honest, I love chaos, so I'm really excited to see it. I'm sure some players will, if this is the case, some players were good at that kind of game creating chaos. Obviously, Tapia is sensational at just appearing where they don't expect him to be. But for example, Lebron's really, really unpredictable. John Sant is almost hyperactive in a good way. So they're going to benefit from this because they'll be able to exploit it best. And perhaps players that are more traditional and more predictable, as per se, are going to have to evolve their game. But yeah, very, very interesting topic. And one other question I wanted to ask you, which came from Marta's interview. She was asked who the toughest players are to play against. And firstly, she said, I don't want to give an answer because I don't want to give it away. <laughs> but <laughs> then she agreed to it. Who do you think she said? I'm guessing just women's, right? Yes, yeah. Let me ask you this. Are they currently a pair or not? Are they together? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to go with uh, Delphi Iberontale. It's a good shout, but she actually went with Aniania Sanchez and Paula Jose Maria, which yeah. you may that think was... is a bit boring because they're... Yeah, that, was, the that, 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 that was like my other option. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it is the safe option. They are the number one seeded pairs, as we all know. But she was saying that they've been playing together for a long time and that she struggles to find gaps to place the ball in between them because they're so in sync. And she was basically talking around the fact that they're like a perfect balance between opposites. So Paula Jose Maria's sensational attacking play, constantly taking risks, looking for portres, trying to be on the front foot in tandem with Ariana's consistency and reliability. And to be honest, I mean, we've seen it, how good they are and how well they're faring this season. They've been unplayable pretty much for parts of it. So I agree. I, I 
probably would have expected Marta. I don't know why. I just thought she was going to say Delphi and Bea because they've been doing so well since they've teamed up for the second time and since they've been playing together this season. But hey, she went a bit boring, much like many of our predictions during our paddleboard race, which to be honest, is it time for it? Yeah, I think it is time. And wow, I don't think we've had one in a while. When I was like counting up the scores for this one, which I finally did, unlike uh, one of our previous episodes, I had to go way back uh, to to find uh, to find what the scores are. And uh, you'll see, I haven't cheated because I probably could have just you know put myself a couple of points here and there. Um, but yeah, I mean, m- maybe because we haven't done this in a while, just a quick reminder to to all our listeners out there, it's uh, we try to predict the semifinals uh, onwards. So we'll get a point for the pairs that participate. So the, in the semifinals, we'll also try to guess the score in sets uh, and we'll get a point if we get those right. And then we obviously also get points for guessing who will be in the final the score if we get it right and the winner as well that's regardless of the score so uh having said that i mean i'm just gonna give a quick preview of where we are currently uh so hugo was leading and he is still leading unfortunately and he's also taking an even bigger lead which is uh, rather annoying and is now leading uh, into this Madrid Masters with uh, 64 points and I myself behind at 55 points. So, yeah, I've got to, to climb the Mount Everest basically to win this, but I'm ready for it. <laughs> I love the attitude. And to be honest, oh, guys, yeah. there's still a lot of tournaments left this season. So, who knows? Shall I just jump straight into it? Give my predictions? Yeah. Go ahead. Cool. So, to be honest, it's it's one of the times when I've struggled the most because I think it's going to be a very, very even tournament. And I've got to be honest, I'm so happy to see that ports are going to be black again. They look so cool with the orange branding on the net because sixth, the car rental company is sponsoring or well, title sponsoring the grid master. But yeah, moving on from that kind of weirdy geek comment, um, <laughs> I think the first Semi-final will be Davia Coelho against Lebron Galan. Shock. And I think the second semi-final will be Chingoto Navarro against Tubadineno. Now, I really struggled. But because Tubadineno would probably play Nieto Santa in the quarterfinals, I just think Tubadineno will edge that match. So essentially, outcome of semi-final one will be two sets to one. Tapia Goya against Lebron Galán and two sets to one for the Super Pibes, Stupan Dinero against Chico Navarro. And the final, the most watched final of the season, Stupan Dinero against Tapia Goya. I think it'll be incredibly even. I'm going to go for two sets to one win for Tapia Goya. Gons? Nice, interesting. Well, we've got very similar score, uh, not score, sorry, very similar uh, players, basically all the same, but just slightly different scores. Uh, I think my tactic now is, uh, yeah, just got to try to stay as close as possible and nab uh, <laughs> little, little differences here and there. But uh, yeah, Tapia Coelho against uh, Lebron Angalan in the first semi-final. And I think 
Tapiakoyo will win that two sets to love, I think. And then Stupadineno against Chingoto Navarro. Yeah, I also see Stupadineno just going past uh, Nieto Sanz in the quarterfinals, even though they've been playing amazingly and, and we've talked about them. Uh, but I do think in the semifinals, they'll also beat uh, Chingoto Navarro two sets to love. And then in the final, Tapiakoyo against Stupadineno, I am going to go for Tapiakoyo two sets to love as well. Okay, so I've gone for three results with two sets to one, and you've gone for three results with two sets to love. So that's actually quite a big difference. There could be a three-point reduction in the gap, for example. Exactly. So Just how big was the gap again, Gons? Nine points. Yeah, I mean, that could be, you know, reduce it by 33%, which is, exactly. yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Chipping away, you know, just chipping away the points and, uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll be there. Nice, nice. Well, um, yeah, sadly, time to say goodbye once again. Yeah, it is that time to say goodbye. But, Hugo, it's always, always a pleasure to have you here. And, yeah, I think it's been a great episode, uh, very interesting topics that, that we've covered today. And, uh, yeah, I think we, we might mention as well that we have, like, something special in store. Uh, leave that to you. Yeah, so we won't give too much away yet, but we will be adding a new part to our podcast slash social media accounts. Very excited to share. And all I'll say is we're going to make it very interactive and we hope as many of you as possible participate. But anyway, we'll keep you posted. Ciao for now. Have a great week, guys. Have a great week, everyone. We'll catch you next time.